Hey, what's happening, guys? Thank you so much for checking out my podcast, The History of Things. I'm your host, Mark, and I apologize for taking so long in between episodes. Life has just gotten busy, and I've been focusing a lot on a YouTube channel that I'm trying to build up currently, but I'm definitely missing this podcast stuff, and so I really wanted to spend some time today and get out an episode. So we are going to be talking today about the history of coffee. So without further ado, let's start the show, shall we? So before I start, I need to give credit to two major websites that gave me the information for this podcast. So the first one is National Coffee Association website. There was a ton of information there that was like 90% 90 of what I found. And the second website is, of course, Google. So let's go on with the show. According to the National Coffee Association website, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly how or when coffee was truly discovered. Now, having said that, as you might expect, there are plenty of theories as to its origins. Some of coffee's heritage can be traced back to centuries to the ancient coffee forest of the Ethiopian Plateau. Legend has it that a goat herder named Kaldi, K-A-L-D-I, had first discovered the potential of these amazing beans. Apparently, the legend states that Kaldi noticed when his goats would eat these beans from a specific tree, they would be so energetic, they just wouldn't sleep at night. So thus leading to Kaldi discovering coffee. So Kaldi makes his way to the monastery and talks to the abbot there, and he told him of his findings. The abbot made a drink with these beans and found himself being alert for longer periods of time, which was a definite helpful thing for the evening prayer. So word spread to the other monks in the monastery and the beans increased popularity. Word of these jacked up beans traveled east and once it reached the Arabian Peninsula, it would bring these beans across the globe. So, in the 15th century, coffee was being grown in the Yemeni district of Arabia. And this was the start of the coffee cultivation and trade. And by the 16th century, coffee was making an appearance in places like Egypt, Syria, Turkey, and Persia. This also was the time when public coffee houses started to appear in the east. Just like today, people would attend these coffee houses for a plethora of social activities, and they quickly became important centers for exchanging information. So much so that they were dubbed as, quote-unquote, school of the wise. There were thousands of pilgrims visiting the holy city of Mecca every year, so word of this new drink, quote-unquote, wine of Arabi, spread globally. <clears throat> So with all this world traveling going on, it didn't take long for Europe to learn about this unusual dark beverage. And by the 17th century, coffee was popular across the continent. 
So not a big surprise, but there were people that reacted negatively to this new beverage. Imagine that, people protesting over something so menial. They actually went as far to call it bitter invention of Satan. <laughs> give me a break. You guys need to give your heads a shake. When coffee made its way to Venice in 1615, the local clergy condemned it. Controversy continued to build, and so much so that Pope Clement VIII had to intervene. So he decides that he should probably taste this thing to form his own opinion. Well, as luck would have it, the Pope found this drink to be so satisfying that he actually gave it a papal approval, P-A-P-A-L approval, devil one, mankind zero. <laughs> Around the same time as this controversy, coffee houses quickly became centers of social activity. And these happened in places like England, Austria, France, Germany, and Holland. They were actually called penny universities, believe it or not. And these penny universities started popping up in England. For a price of a penny, you could buy a cup of coffee and engage in a stimulating conversation. Man, can you imagine now? You'd be paying 700 pennies for that cup of coffee. <laughs> so... Coffee began to replace the popular drink beverages of the time, which were beer and wine. And as you might expect, they saw major improvements with those that started their days with coffee rather than alcohol. <laughs> no kidding. They were much more alert and with much more energy, not to mention their quality of work was greatly improved as well. This is where the coffee service in the workplace began. So there were over 300 coffee houses established by the mid 17th century just in London alone. There were even businesses that were derived from these coffee houses. Lloyd's of London is a prime example. This company actually came into existence at the Edward Lloyd's coffee house. That's pretty interesting. And coffee houses began to appear rapidly, but tea continued to be the favorite drink in the New World. Then 1773 comes along, and King George III, in his infinite wisdom, idiot, imposed a hefty tax on the tea. So, for obvious reasons, the colonists would revolt against the stupid tax. This revolt would become known as the Boston Tea Party, and this eventually would change the world's drink preference to coffee, thus raising the coffee into the popularity that it has today. So you and I both know that Brazil is famous for its coffee. But I wonder, or I highly doubt that you know the actual story as to how their plantations came about. It's actually really interesting. So get this. A handsome guy by the name of Francisco de Melo Palheta, P-A-L-H-E-T-A, -E was sent by the emperor to the French Guiana to obtain coffee seeds. But the French, yeah, they weren't interested in playing nice in the sandbox, and they sure as hell weren't going to be sending or, or sharing their, their seeds with anybody. But however, the governor's wife, of all people, fancied Francisco and was captivated by his looks. Boom, chicka, boom, boom. And so Francisco 
was about to leave the country empty-handed. I mean, it looked like it was going to be a wasted trip. But the governor's wife sent Francisco off with a huge bouquet of flowers upon his departure. He later found buried inside that bouquet was enough coffee seeds to start what is now a billion-dollar-a-year industry. That is just too cool. And thanks to travelers and traders and missionaries and colonists, coffee continued to make its way around the world. Plantations, they were established in incredible tropical forests as well as on rugged mountain highlands. And as you know, with anything else, some crops would flourish and some didn't. New nations were actually created on coffee economies, which is kind of neat. And many fortunes were made and lost. I think we've heard some stories about that. And the end of the 18th century saw that coffee had become one of the world's most profitable exports. After crude oil, coffee is the most sought-after commodity in the world today. That's just crazy when you just think of that. So I just found another website here for the Canadian coffee history, and the website is knowyourgrinder.com. So the Canadian history, the cultivation of coffee became a booming business throughout the early 1600s, as we know, courtesy of the Europeans. So countries like Vietnam, Indonesia, and all them were just a couple of popular places where coffee was born. It was grown, packaged, and exported worldwide. There's many historians out there that will argue that a fellow by the name of Captain John Smith was the one who introduced coffee to North America. Some people actually say that Canada had coffee way before that time, but who really knows? But Captain John Smith was one of the many global traders of this lucrative golden drink. Coffee is definitely one of the drinks that feels really good to drink in the wintertime. You can imagine yourself sitting on your couch wrapped up in blankets, the snow's falling outside the window, and you're just sitting there sipping your cup of joe. That's a pretty cozy feeling, I gotta say. And in Canada here, our definitely our winters can be pretty brutal. If you take Winnipeg, for example, and their winter temperatures can drop well below minus 40 degrees Celsius. So it makes you wonder, you know, are these the Canadian coffee culture, was it attributed to these extremely cold winters? Yeah, who knows? But in Canada, I mean, you can even see the occasional Zamboni driver go through the drive-thru. I mean, it's, it's a pretty sought-after drink. And it wouldn't be Canada if there wasn't a maple syrup-flavored coffee. And you don't know Canada if you've never heard of Tim Horton's coffee chain. This coffee chain was actually founded in 1964 in Hamilton, Ontario by the famous hockey player Tim Horton. And regardless whether you like the coffee there or not, it's definitely here to stay. The chain itself grew fairly slow and steadily from its uh, beginnings up to 1991 there were only 500 stores in circulation. But in the years that followed, Tim Horton's coffee chain exploded across the country. So as of December 2016, there was over 400, or sorry, 4,613 Tim Horton's locations 
to be found around the world. Now, if you take Canada in particular, there is one Tim Hortons for every 9,000 people. That's pretty impressive. And they got to be doing something right because they've made $4.15 billion U.S. That's pretty impressive. So there's another uh, another traditional legend here that I just finished reading about, which is kind of interesting. There was an Arabian mystic named Omar, and he was exiled to the desert by his enemies. So, of course, anybody that's in the desert by themselves is, is facing starvation. And he actually stayed alive by making a broth from these coffee beans off the coffee tree. And the residents nearby in the town of Mocha, of all places, thought Omar's survival was actually a religious sign. So this Mocha region still continues to be a major supply of coffee to this day. Mocha is also well known for the place where the first coffee beans that became popular in Europe were actually produced. And there's also um, a statement here from uh, someone, I'm not sure if they're male or female, but the last name is Talleyrand, T-A-L-L-Y-R-A-N-D, from 1754 to 1839. And I'll read this verbatim. It says, Suave molecules of mocha stir up your blood without causing excess heat. The organ of thought receives from it a feeling of sympathy. Work becomes easier and you will sit down without distress to your principal repass, which will restore your body and afford you a calm, delicious night. Yeah, that's interesting. Here's a couple of interesting facts on a timeline here. So in 1475, Ottoman Turks introduced coffee to Constantinople. A coffee shop called Kiva Han opens in Con Constantinople and later two more open. The Turkish law states that a woman may divorce her husband if he doesn't provide her with a daily quota of coffee. <laughs> Get my coffee, bitch! <laughs> uh, in 1500, roasting coffee is common by this time, as is brewing, brewing the beverage, and coffee houses continue to appear in Arabia. In 1511, Mecca's corrupt governor, Care Bey, attempts to ban coffee because he fears that it's going to encourage opposition. It's going to encourage people not to follow his rule. And those who consume the coffee are not attending prayers at the mosques anymore, but instead they're hanging out at the local coffee houses. So in response, the sultan has him executed and declares coffee is actually sacred. <laughs> and in 1534, Cairo religious fanatics denounce coffee, and a subsequent hearing ends when the chief judge tries the beverage and then sides with the coffee drinkers. <laughs> Not the first time we hear that story. So I thought I would finish off this episode with some more fun facts that I found on Google. There was actually quite a few of them, and some of them are actually quite interesting. Like, why is coffee called Joe? 
So Jam Jamoki, J-A-M-O-K-E, was itself a combination of nicknames, Java and Mocha. Another theory says that coffee came to be known as Joe because Joe itself is a slang term for a common fella, a guy or a chap. So in other words, coffee became a cup of Joe because it was considered a common man's drink. And what is the coffee capital of the world? Crowned as the coffee capital of the world is Vienna, and is said to have invented the process of filtering coffee, and it has some of the most beautiful cafes in the world. Who produces the most coffee? Well, if you guessed Brazil, you guessed right. Brazil is the top coffee-producing country. It accounts for 40% of the global, global coffee supply, but Vietnam, interestingly enough, was the second largest coffee producer, producing around 20% of the world's coffee production. That's pretty cool. So which country drinks the most coffee? Well, number one apparently to this says Finland is the first in line with 26.4 pounds of coffee per person per year. Norway came in second with 21.8 pounds of coffee per person per year. And number three spot was actually tied with Iceland and Denmark at 19.8 pounds of coffee per person per year. That sounds like a lot to me. And what age gap, or what age group, I should say, drinks coffee the most. So Bloomberg's report cited research that says millennials consume 44% of the coffee in the United States. The daily consumption among the 18 to 24 year olds rose from 48% from 34. And it also climbed to 60% from 51 from the age group 25 to 39. Does the USA grow any coffee? Well, there's only one of the two states in the United States that's able to grow coffee plants commercially, and that's Hawaii, the other being California. However, there is, there is another place that grows it on US soil, and it's Puerto Rico. It has a coffee industry of its own, and has had one for some time. Although it's not exactly a state, it, it's still a U.S. territory. So what is Javalia Coffee? Javalia is the largest coffee roastery in Scandinavia. In North America, the company sells its coffee directly to its consumers via home delivery and also through big box stores such as Walmart. In 2015, Javalia actually discontinued sales of tea. Colombia is the largest producer of fair trade coffee. That was kind of cool. I didn't know that. And what's the most expensive coffee? <laughs> I would have said Starbucks, but apparently it's Copia Luwak. With the prices ranging between $35 and $100 a cup or $100 to $600 a pound. Kopi Luwak 
is wildly considered to be the most expensive coffee in the world. Crazy. And how does coffee affect the economy? So the total economic impact of coffee industry in the U.S. in 2015 was $225.2 billion. Consumers spent $74.2 billion on coffee in 2015. The coffee industry is responsible for 1,694,710 jobs in the U.S. economy. And the coffee industry itself produces or generates nearly $28 billion in taxes. That's insane. And where did the Folgers coffee originate from? Well, the precursor to the Folgers Coffee Company was founded in 1850 in San Francisco, California, and as the pioneer steam coffee and spice mill. The founding owner, William H. Bovey, saw an opportunity to produce roasted and ground coffee ready for brewing. And lastly, who sells the most coffee in the U.S.? You know, I was a little bit surprised by this, but maybe I wasn't. McDonald's is the leading coffee seller, according to the report, with 14.32% of the market and 193 million servings sold in 2012. The second place goes to Dunkin' Donuts with 13.75% share of the market and 185.3 million servings, followed by Starbucks with 11.80% share of the market and 159.1 million servings. That's a lot of coffee. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, guys, this will basically wrap up this episode on the history of coffee. As always, I am super appreciative of you spending your time with me. If you made it this far and you enjoyed it, please give me a five-star rating. It helps me out tremendously. It helps to get my name out there and to grow this podcast. So if you wouldn't mind doing that for me, that would be so cool. And I so appreciate any support share this with other people or, or, or whatever, but anything you can do to help me, that would be so cool. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.